In late 2016, the Wall Street Journal wrote, once widely adapted, blockchain will transform the world. But what is blockchain? What can it do for your business? And what are the legal and regulatory implications? I'm Dave Dalton. Welcome to Jones Day Talks Technology. Forbes magazine recently wrote that blockchain is at the same stage of development as the internet was just 20 years ago. Forbes also reports that venture firms have put more than $1 billion into blockchain projects over the last five years. I googled blockchain technology and was rewarded with 71,300,000 hits. Seems like we could be looking at the next big thing. I'm certain that today's guests can shine some light on this subject. With us today, we've got Cody Marks Bailey. He's founder of the North Texas Blockchain Alliance and CEO of XRAM Capital. That's a crypto asset investment management company. David Fisher is founder and CEO of Integra Ledger. That's a blockchain platform for the legal services industry. And representing the home team, Jones Day, we've got Steve Obi, a partner who's primarily working in financial institutions litigation and regulations law. And Mark Rasmussen, he's also a Jones Day partner. He focuses on securities litigation and SEC enforcement. Gentlemen, thanks for being here. Let's go to Cody Bailey first. Cody, for the listener who's heard a little bit about blockchain, but may not be completely comfortable with his or her level of understanding, what exactly is it? So blockchain is a, an amalgamation of technologies that have been sort of stacked together that we've perfected over the last 25 years. It has elements of cryptography, um, elements of peer-to-peer -peer networking, smart contracts, really everything in the computer science industry that we've sort of figured out over the last, uh, like I said, 20, 30 years. How does this help my business? What are the applications? Is it software? Is it something cloud-based? If I'm hearing about blockchain technology, I'm CEO or CFO of a billion-dollar company. Why should I be interested? Yeah, so one of the operative words is a distributed ledger, and this allows for computational agreements, stores of value to be transmitted securely, openly, and, and immutable. So this really gets into a lot of crucial areas inside of businesses that uh, require either transactions to happen, there's uh, any kind of friction involved with any kind of transaction out there, stores of value, that kind of thing. So when you say transaction, supply chain, securities, transactions, examples? Yeah, certainly. So uh, right now we have exchanges all across the world that are centralized that do allow for different currencies and different uh, crypto assets to be traded around the clock 24-7 with very little oversight or regulation involved. Yeah, we're seeing that kind of bubble up right now. We've got, there's close to 300 exchanges across the world. Some are domiciled in different countries that require you to be a citizen or at least have a, a bank account in that country. Thank you, Cody. Let's go over to David Fisher. David, can you talk about some of the advantages blockchain has over existing digital ledger technology? Yeah, so we live in a world of intermediaries, uh, so much so that we don't even think about it. You know, it, it's the bank, it's the DMV where you get your driver's license, the passport uh, agency. We're used to dealing with trusted central authorities. In a commercial sense, it might be Google or Facebook or Amazon. What distributed ledger technology presents is a radical evolution from that, where instead of trusting one central authority, there's trust embedded in the network. There's trust as part of the technology infrastructure. So in distributed ledger technology, instead of having one bank with a ledger of all customer transactions, you have potentially every customer with a ledger of all the transactions. So trust has been invented via innovations for Bitcoin blockchain, such that you know, we can now trust digital currency. And if you think about the implications of that, if you can trust digital currency without an intermediary to back that up, you can potentially 
apply distributed ledger technology to trust any digital asset. That's why this is so transformative, potentially, and so pervasive in terms of its implications. Yeah, and I think what's also just following up on David's answer there, what's also unique here is that you could take a physical asset and you could basically create a digital token. And thus, you can transfer physical assets through this methodology just as easily as anything else that you digitally can transfer. Yeah, just following up on that, to me, what was so revolutionary and eye-opening as I learned about blockchain is the ability to get rid of multiple versions of the truth. David Fisher mentioned that we live in a world of intermediaries, and each of those intermediaries keeps track of its own information on its own ledger. What blockchain allows those intermediaries to do to share information on one decentralized ledger that is spread around different nodes in the network, and everyone has the same information. And so there's lots of potentials to improve efficiencies and reduce errors. You say everyone has access to the information. It sounds transparent, but you mean everybody involved in this particular transaction, not anybody just can come in and access this information, I'm thinking. Correct. There are public and private blockchains, and in the private blockchain space, those are permissioned. And so those who are allowed to access the information are given the permissions to do so. So you can restrict who has access to that information. As the technology ramps up, how are companies introducing blockchain? Are they developing internally? Are outside parties involved? How does someone join the party? There are several applications that folks have looked at. One of the applications in the diamond industry is called Everledger, and Everledger is a diamond registry on the blockchain. And what it does is diamonds themselves have unique characteristics. So if you either serialize with a laser a diamond, or you just take 3D images of a diamond to get its characteristics, you can then track diamonds around the world from what mine they came from. So if you're concerned about getting diamonds from a conflict area, you can ensure that the diamonds that you're buying are not from that area. As well as if diamonds are ever stolen or lost, you would have a repository basically to know whose diamonds are the rightful owner. And so you see insurance companies buying into this and others who need to track various products. And the technology, one of the great things about this technology, which is enabling it to flourish, is that it is cost effective because you don't have someone maintaining a central repository. That has been a process that we call the central repository process usually means that everybody keeps their own set of data and in order to ensure that those sets of data are accurate, there's this immense reconciliation process that occurs, whether it's in financial transactions or other. What the distributed ledger technology enables you to do is to know that everyone, when they are adding information, that everyone has the latest and greatest copy. That saves a tremendous amount of money. So you're taking out intermediaries, middlemen, that kind of thing. Exactly, and ensuring that you have the data that everybody else has, who you've transacted with. Let's talk more about real-world applications. We just had a, an example of the, the diamond trade, diamond industry. I want everybody to weigh in on this, but let's start with Steve Obie. Broadly speaking, I see a lot of potential applications or read about potential applications in supply chain, banking and finance, especially where securities trading is concerned. But let's stand supply chain for a second. Steve, can you talk about some examples where companies have used blockchain in their supply chain logistics? Sure. So there's a major retailer 
that has an initiative called Pig to Plate. And what that does is it tracks pigs that are being raised in China. It tracks what they're being fed and all the various characteristics of raising a pig, including vet visits and everything else. As the pig is processed and transported into the United States, the blockchain application is tracking how the various products are comprised and then where those various products enter into the various stores for the retailer. And so at any given point, if a retailer decides that it needs to do a food recall, it doesn't need to take every piece of pork off of its shelves. What it can do, uh, if it knows that particularized pigs were found to have been you know, fed contaminated products or something else went wrong on the supply chain, it could then target the various processed pieces and pull specific products off of the shelf. So this enables you know, greater food safety than ever before because of the way the information is stored and housed and how it gets added because each person involved in the supply chain will have access to write to the chain. That's valuable. That's a potential benefit I had not heard about yet. So that's encouraging and kind of a, another asset that hadn't been brought to my attention, that's for sure. What about securities trading? If I can go to Mark Rasmussen for a minute, the focus here is on banks and financial institutions. How does blockchain make trade execution and settlements better? Well, Dave, banks and financial institutions have, have really seen how beneficial the technology can be in securities trading. As we've mentioned, this is an area where there are a lot of parties involved in the process, from investors buying the securities, brokers, dealers, custodians, exchanges, clearing and settlement firms. There's so many, and, and they each have their own ledgers and, and tracking the information. And this gives rise to at least a couple of problems, delays and inconsistencies with the blockchain technology we can reduce trade settlement time to almost instantaneous. And then as for inconsistencies, with all these intermediaries recording their information, there's the potential for errors. But when they're all working off the same ledger, the same information in the ledger, they can eliminate the, some of those risks of errors. And, and perhaps the largest intermediary of all in the securities trading field is the Depository Trust Clearing Corporation, which acts as sort of a central accountant for post-trade processing functions mm -hmm. for hundreds of millions of securities per day. This is an entity that is almost the exact opposite of the ethos of the blockchain premise, which provides decentralized, trustless, replicated ledger. The DTC is that centralized, trusted entity that keeps track of these trades. Yet even the DTCC is looking at ways to make blockchain technology work within the regulated environment in which it works. And banks as well are collaborating with their counterparties to make settlement of transactions much more seamless using the blockchain. This is going to be very disruptive. Well, at least transformative. I mean, okay. It depends on what industry you're going to be in. Clearly, the internet brought revolution and evolution to a number of uh, industries. So for some clients, they'll find that the technology is disruptive. For others, it'll just involve a new way of doing business with potential for cost savings. If I could interject another enormous uh, use case, mm -hmm. it's in medicine and medical records. I mean, there's been so much work about the digitization of medical records. You have this question of patient privacy, ownership of the data, reconciliation. Blockchain is likely to have a profound impact throughout the world of medicine. 
and securing records and ensuring the integrity of those records. You think about the, the need for a patient to go from one doctor to a clinic to a hospital and then throughout their life. The, the ability to bring integrity to, along with privacy and ownership mm -hmm. to that data is profound. And considering that medicine, I believe, is the largest industry, certainly in the United States, if we're talking about blockchain transforming the information architecture of that industry, you can see right there that that impacts you know, several trillion dollars in, in value. Let's stay on security and privacy matters for a second, since we're heading that direction. Let's go to David. How are companies preparing in anticipation of the risk that a company having secure data? In a blockchain perspective? Yes. I think blockchain is actually a response to the impossible situation in which companies find themselves today, where you have massive stores of data. And there's one recent enormous breach that most people have probably heard of. I think 143 million personal credit records were exposed. We're at a point where, and I refer to this frequently as terminal complexity in existing cloud-based information architectures, where whether you're a law firm, big corporate, a bank, you name it, it's becoming untenable. You want to create more functionality and convenience for customers, right? People expect more automation. They expect instantaneous access. Well, that comes at a price where in the current information architecture of your big corporation or, or a big institution, there's just no way to lock that down. And that's being proven again and again and again, almost on a daily basis. I mean, if you talk to any CIO of a big institution, they'll tell you that they get attacks you know, almost by the minute. So blockchain really is a response to that. So I think there are questions around the security of blockchain, which can be answered maybe in a more complex, in-depth conversation about cryptography and hashing, just the nature of blockchain itself. But I, I, I see blockchain as really a global ecosystem response to an impossible digital security situation. Well, have there been any hacks or breaches of data on blockchain that you're aware of? It's fairly well known that Bitcoin, which is the, the most, it's the oldest of the big public blockchains, the most well-known, there has been no hack of Bitcoin blockchain. Now, along the way, there have been incidents where wallets have been compromised or exchanges have been compromised, but those are all things that were built on top of the blockchain. But in terms of the blockchain itself, and I would invite Cody to weigh in on this for some additional commentary, but blockchains themselves, at least the big ones, are not known to have ever been compromised. Yeah, the, um, this is Cody, by the way. The, um, yeah. the real funny story here is uh, there was a, the biggest hack in Bitcoin was, or, you know, what the, what the media uh, portrays as the hack, was of, a, of an exchange called, it was the first exchange around called uh, MT Gox or Mount Gox. And everybody, you know, they've read this, and they've got different feelings on it. But at the end of the day, what a lot of people don't realize is that Mount Gox stood for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. It was a card trading website run by a bunch of geeks in their early 20s that really <laughs> didn't know what they were doing. And overnight, they somehow turned into a, a bank or an exchange. And so the technology that was backing that wasn't there. Whereas, you know, companies like Coinbase that have, you know, all of Silicon Valley's brightest guys working on, on some of those problems, they've never had a hack so far. So it really, it's industrial strength versus sort of new adopters. And that's where we're seeing a lot of the, uh, the malfeasance. Encouraging. Yeah, and, yeah. and in, the case of, in the case of Ethereum, more recently, the, an event known as the DAO, it was a $100 million approximately offering raised online. And someone came in and stole some large percentage of the funds. Well, it turns out that the error was not with Ethereum, the blockchain on which this happened, but the smart contract that was written that underpinned the DAO, the De uh, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. 
And so once again, uh, just like the example Cody gave, it was not the blockchain itself. It was the application or organization on top of it. Can someone define smart contract for me? Yeah, smart contracts are bits of, of logic that are published to the blockchain and then are executed by all of the nodes on the network. At this point in time, there's about 30,000 Ethereum nodes out there. And so they basically serve a witness to that computation being done. They compare the results. And then through the mining, the game theory and stuff associated with mining, one actor in that 35,000 is sort of deemed the efficient for that next block. And just like everybody on this call, we can all verify that 5 plus 7 is 12. But once we all shake our heads and nod and we all agree, then that's, that's sort of the truth. And that's how consensus is built. So just give an example of this. A, a big insurance company just announced an insurance product where you can buy an insurance contract, a smart contract. And Cody, is it on Ethereum, do you recall? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think it's on Ethereum, where you, you can buy a contract, an insurance contract, against flight delays. And this is a, a smart contract that's running on the Ethereum blockchain. And it's smart in the sense that you buy it, and so you initiate the contract. But then the data feed is a, a public data feed on flight delays. And so if your flight is more than two hours delayed, that's publicly known information that's fed into the smart contract automatically, and it releases payment to you to fulfill the insurance contract and obligation. So that's a simple example that I think most people would understand where it's a basically a ubiquitous smart contract that's running on the blockchain. You have publicly agreed information that's fed into it to trigger events, and it instantly triggers fulfillment of the contract. So that's a smart contract. Thanks, Steve. We've talked about the technology, about some applications. With our remaining time, let's move over to the legal issues. Uh, let's talk about federal oversight. Anytime new technology is introduced and ramps up, laws and requirements are sure to follow. Steve, how are financial regulators reacting to the introduction of blockchain? Well, certainly they're giving attention to it. I think they're still in the learning phase and trying to figure out how current laws apply to technology that is evolving so quickly. So what we have seen, as we've seen in the banking world, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency come out with a fintech charter proposal. Unfortunately, that proposal has been met with some opposition. Some state regulators have sued in federal court to block the charter proposal. So there's a little bit of an evolution that will occur in that area. You've seen the Federal Reserve put out a white paper discussing how blockchain technology could apply to settlements, and certainly banks have formed consortia to investigate how blockchain technology can rapidly move various currencies around the world, whether it's a particular new token that they've created as part of their experiments. We've seen the SEC host a number of roundtables, and in the DAO incident that David was talking about, we've seen the Division of Enforcement and the Division of Corporate Finance put out a white paper report on how securities laws still apply to the various types of offerings that are being made with this technology. Because for the first time, really, you have a technology that can record transactions, but also transfer value. And it's that second concept that really is revolutionizing how people are utilizing blockchains because you're now developing currencies outside of the central banking process. And that creates a, a slew of issues, whether it's AML, KYC, and other issues that the financial world routinely confronts. 
Dave, if I could just if I could just add on to that, the, please. What we haven't seen is new legislation at the federal level that's being passed. There is a congressional blockchain caucus that has formed to study the issue, but to date, as far as I know, there's been no legislation that has actually been passed. I, I saw recently, though, that both chambers of Congress have included in their versions of the defense spending bill certain amendments that would require reporting on some of the uses of blockchain technology, both the offensive and defensive cybersecurity applications. So what regulators are doing is they're working with the existing laws that are on the books to go after bad actors, particularly the SEC. One of the areas, while it may not be the federal regulators that are taking the lead, certainly we're seeing some states step up and take the lead in ensuring that blockchain technology can be utilized under existing legal structures, if not modified legal structures, and thus we've seen states pass legislation. Well, Delaware, right, Steve? Right. You've seen Delaware specifically allow corporations to maintain their stock registry using the blockchain. So that's a, a huge leap. We've also seen other states, Arizona, New Mexico, Vermont, adopt legislation recognizing the validity of digital signatures on contracts. So I, I think as you see more and more model laws, as they're called, come about and get passed, we'll reach a stage where the legal structure will catch up with the technology. And that's typical, right? I mean, the laws chase the technology, not the other way around, that's for sure. Agreed. Yeah, yeah panel, this has been great. Let's wrap up with this. It's been an eventful year for blockchain. What do you see? Let's hear some predictions for the next year to 18 months. What do you see happening with blockchain technology in 2018? Are you thinking more investment? Will VCs continue to get involved? More regulations? Where's this go if I'm a stakeholder in blockchain? What do you guys see coming? I'll start off. I mean, I've seen some publications called 2017, the year of the blockchain. That may or may not be true. I think there's going to be much more growth in 2018. As I've been out speaking about blockchain, I've introduced the topic to more and more companies that are seeing the benefits of this. And I think you're going to start seeing in the near term even more investment of capital into these resources. And all of the companies that have looked into the technology on sort of a a test basis They're going to start launching these technologies in the years ahead, particularly in 2018. I I would expect to see a lot more. We'll be sure to watch. Steve, any observations? Yeah, I think you're going to see some major countries digitize their currency. And I, I usually say this in my prediction closing arguments, and I woke up this morning to an announcement that Japan is actively looking at digitizing its currency. If you think about it, paper currency already has a serial number. Uh So it would be the hardest thing to have a token representing digital currency, and that may enable regulators to impose the same controls that they have already in the paper world into a digital world. So I really do believe that other countries will follow suit to digitize their currencies. Congratulations on being out in front of that one. That was a bold prediction. David, Cody, anything? Yeah, I'll I'll jump in. I I think I agree with with Steve. I think there'll be some countries that are early movers on this. We're already seeing some signs of that. But I would add to that, I I think there are going to be some big corporate surprises. One unique thing about blockchain technology and its development is that it's largely coming top down from the standpoint of big organizations, big institutions with a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we've seen this already with a big custodial bank, which surprised everyone, no notice whatsoever, no hint of it. 
and all of a sudden they're live with a blockchain-based custodial offering for their private equity funds. I think we're going to see further big corporate surprises like that. And so I'll go out of limb and I'll, I'll predict that a big bank is going to announce you know, a major uh, potentially consumer offering in blockchain in terms of peer-to-peer payments. And I think we'll see similar surprises, if you will, in uh, a variety of other industries where just one day you open the Wall Street Journal and there it is. Hmm. All of a sudden we're in a new era. We are living in interesting times, that's for certain. Let's get one more prediction from Cody Marks-Bailey. Cody, wrap this up for us. Yeah, so I think that we're going to see um, a lot of technologies that are kind of being prepared right now come to life, both on the chains and how the chain, the different blockchains function, but also in a lot of the, the ICO projects that took on a lot of capital. And I think we're going to see those things kind of mature over the next, um, really over the next year. And, you know, this is a learning stage. We're, we're learning how to, how to build these applications and how they work, uh, how the different languages work, how the, uh, the virtual machines work. That's a, a long process, but I think we're going to start really seeing some big strides in 2018. Very good. Cody, thanks so much for that insight. Yeah. Panel, thanks so much. One other note, Jones Day, just a couple weeks back, published a very thorough white paper, Blockchain for Business. It's a great resource. About 25 pages and explains blockchain technology, outlines common uses and applications, and gets into regulations, relevant case law, and key legal issues in jurisdictions around the world. It's a combined effort of many Jones Day lawyers, but was spearheaded by Steve Obie and Jones Day partner Harriet Terrett from our London office. Go to jonesday.com, check out our publications page, or just go to a search engine and type in Jones Day blockchain white paper. Thanks very much for listening to Jones Day Talks Technology. I'm Dave Dalton. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, panel. Thank you for listening to Jones Day Talks. Comments heard on Jones Day Talks should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. The opinions expressed on Jones Day Talks are those of the attorneys appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information, please visit www.jonesday.com.